0: This is the EWN Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to Prime Spark, the podcast that brings you conversations that inspire, celebrate and empower women over 55. The second women's revolution is here and it is time for us to fuel a spark that will ignite your way forward, illuminate your path and reflect your gifts in the world. Now, here is your host for Prime Spark, Sarah Hart.
2: Hi, and welcome hey. to Prime Spark. I'm Sarah Hart, and I'm so happy you're here with us. Prime Spark is designed for women over 55 or close, with a goal to help us all live our happiest most fulfilling and productive lives, now and in the future. The mission of Prime Spark is to change the way our society sees and treats older women. That's a big mission, which only means we need to get started now and we all need to be involved. And today I have the great pleasure of speaking with Alka Joshi, a woman whose writing I greatly admire. Alka Joshi was born in India and raised in the U.S. since the age of nine. She has a B.A. from Stanford University and an M.F.A. from California College of Arts. At age 62, Joshi published her debut novel, The Henna Artist, which immediately became a New York Times bestseller, a Reese Witherspoon book club pick and was longlisted for the Center for Fiction First Novel Prize, and is being developed into an episodic series by Netflix. The sequel, The Secret Keeper of Jaipur, released in June 2021, will be followed by the third book in the trilogy in 2023. Welcome, Elka. I'm so happy you're here today. Thank you, Sarah. I am delighted to be here as well. What a lovely introduction. Oh, well, what a lovely person to introduce. (laughs) So before we talk about your books, which I certainly want to do, let me just ask you, do you experience getting older? And if you do, in what ways? And if you don't, why do you think it is that you don't?
3: I experience getting older in some ways and not in others. So I think, you know, my body is aging in ways where I don't run anymore. My knees uh, cannot take that. So I do a lot more walking and walking has its own reward. So I actually love walking. A lot of my writing that I do in my head is because I'm walking and I am thinking and I'm out in the outdoors. There is no other distraction uh, going on in my imagination. So uh, I have just substituted activities that I can no longer do with my body with other activities that I think are pleasurable. Another thing I do is um, aerobic swimming so you know these kinds of uh sort of dance classes in the water they're so much easier on my knees and you know on my legs and so on so there are always things i think we can substitute when our bodies start uh you know doing that kind of thing um i used to be able to sleep anywhere remember when you were in your 20s uh, you could just you could sleep on the floor on somebody's floor if they invited you over. I can't do that anymore. I need my pillows. I need a pillow between my knees for my sciatica. <laughs> you know, There's all kinds of reasons why I need extra things to help me sleep better. I have a noise machine on and I have a fan going because after menopause, <laughs> my body got a little too hot. So, you know, these are just natural things that um, I had to find remedies for. Um, I think the other way in which it's been great to get a little bit older is that I I know a lot more now than I did in my 20s, 30s and 40s. I know a lot more about the human condition because I myself has, have experienced grief and loss and forgiveness and betrayal and all of those things that we all experience. So it's allowed me to write in a much more richer and layered way than I could have written in my twenties. Um, the other thing about going through more experiences is that you learn to give yourself a break and maybe you learn to give other people a break too. Because you realize nobody is perfect. You're not perfect. Uh, You know, nobody around you is perfect. Your parents weren't perfect. Uh, And so I think that it just allows you a lot more uh, forgiveness in your life. And especially, I think, toward yourself. The ability to say, I forgive myself for the things that I might have done that aren't you know, that aren't copacetic, that aren't something I would condone now. But I did them because I had less experience, less maturity. Um, You know, I I was thinking that my parents didn't know as much as I did. (laughs) And so I decided not to follow their examples.
2: (laughs) That's really interesting, Elka. I've talked to a lot of of women and so many uh, just reflect exactly what the kind of thing you're saying that we experience changes in our bodies because we experience changes in our bodies. I mean, getting older, but other than that, um, life is easier. I mean, it's uh, no, every, you know, I know more about things. I know more about me. I'm more of who I am. Um, and I, I love the, the, the you're talking about the forgiveness. I think that's really right but we have to go through that before we know that so yeah
3: Yeah, we do. We have to go through it ourselves in order to understand it in other people. And, you know, there is this arrogance of youth that's talked about and we all had it right at 20. We just think we know everything. We think that when an older person is talking to us, that they don't know any uh, any more than we do or they know less than we do because we are in the modern age and they're stuck in the past. And as we grow older, we realize, oh, my gosh, they did know what they were talking about. They weren't stuck in the past. They were actually telling us the benefit of their experience. They were sharing that with us.
2: Right. And and I think we've lost that. And, And that's a very sad thing that we've lost. So,
3: you know, in India. I have to tell you, it's a little bit different. And I think in some Asian cultures, it's different. For example, when I go to India, people give me a, a respect automatically because of my age, because of my gray hair, that they don't in the United States. So uh, people will touch my feet. Younger people will touch my feet because they say, you are older, you are wiser, you can uh, impart some knowledge to me. Um, They will also refer to me by Alka G and G is a sign of respect. It's like saying, ma'am. They will also uh, oftentimes ask me a lot of questions, trying to see if there is something in what I know uh, about life or about writing or about business that they might be able to learn from. So it's very different when you go to Asian countries like India very very different to be treated as an elder. I remember my mother loved to go back to India in her later years because everybody would gather around her and sit down and she would be up on the high chair and they would be asking her questions as if she were
2: a maharani. That's I that was something I was wondering if you noticed differences between how older women in the U.S. and older women in India are treated. So is that still true when you go there? So has Absolutely. that changed at all?
3: Absolutely true. It has not changed. Um, and what's, uh, you know, it, it kind of surprises me that now when I hear from South Asian women, especially ones who are younger than I am, who are reading either The Henna Artist or The Secret Keeper of Jaipur, they refer to me as Alka Ji, in the uh, email correspondence, or when they call me on the phone, or in any kind of occasion, they are referring to me in this way that I'm not used to in the United States. You know, it's it's so, uh, it's it's flattering, but it's also a little uncomfortable because I feel like, oh, I don't have all the knowledge. I don't, you know, like, don't don't be looking to me for, you know, all the pointers about life. I don't know everything, but I'll be happy to share with you what I know.
2: And is that true? Is it as true in cities as in the countryside?
3: Uh, yes, it is. It is still very, very, very true in wow. both places. It's really a, just a cultural thing. Right. So that is what I have noticed. You know, um, I was even in <laughs> situations where uh, there were uh, audiences, right? And I walk into the room. And I am older than the person who has a seat and they will actually vacate their seat, whether it's a girl or a boy or a young woman or a young man. They will vacate their seat so I can sit down.
2: (laughs) That does not happen here.
3: (laughs) No, it doesn't. My, My mother, I think, was very surprised as she got older here in the United States that that didn't happen. For example, she might step on a bus and she might not have the exact change, and she's waiting there to put the right change into the, um, you know, the the box by the bus driver, and the bus driver takes off. She wasn't used to that kind of treatment, and then when she fell uh, because a bus took off too soon. People didn't clamor up to help her the way they would in India. They were, uh, they were like, oh, you know, this woman has fallen. It's her fault because she didn't have enough change and she didn't realize the bus needs to take off. I need to get to work. So lady, step aside. It was very different.
2: I find that very sad. I'm, I, I mean, I know that that's true and I find that very sad. So for anybody who hasn't had the great pleasure of reading The Henna Artist, would you just quickly sort of describe it so that we can talk about it?
3: Yes. I wrote The Henna Artist as an alternate life for my mother, in which, as the character of Lakshmi, who was 30 years old when we first encounter her at, in The Henna Artist, has left her marriage 13 years prior. She deserted her marriage in the middle of the afternoon when she couldn't take it anymore. She went to a whole different city. She used whatever skills she had in order to survive, in order to make a living, and then moved on to another city to reinvent herself as a henna artist in the daytime and as somebody who supplies contraceptive sachets uh, on the sideline. (laughs) And um, so my mother gets to live this life that was very unconventional for the time period of the 1950s that Lakshmi is living in and that my mother was married in. So my mother had this very traditional uh, Indian life, arranged marriage, uh, kids uh, in her early 20s, never having the ability to choose her own career or even finish her education at the university but she afforded me all of those opportunities. I just wanted to let her have the opportunity, even if it was just in fiction, I wanted to give her that life. So that's what the henna artist is about. And we get to watch Lakshmi navigate her way through all these obstacles in her path, just as all of us experience obstacles in our path toward the goal that we want for our future, this future that we are envisioning that is uh, wonderful and carefree and uh, full of the kinds of things that we want in life. Luxury wants those same kinds of things, uh, but she is uh, living in an era where the patriarchy dominates. And so she has to find clever ways to get around some of these obstacles.
2: Did your mother like
3: the book? She did. <laughs> she loved it. Um, she read, I think, one of the earliest drafts of the book before she died. And it wasn't uh, another, let's see, it wasn't until another eight years that the book would be published, uh, you know, as a book. Uh, and so I like to imagine that my mother is still watching over all of this and that she has seen the book published and that she experiences how other people are reacting and resonating with Lakshmi's life. And I think that she's very proud of me. I had this uh, really interesting thing happen to me the other day. I was delivering a keynote in Santa Fe and it was at a writing retreat, about a hundred women were there. And as I delivered my keynote, uh, you know, all these women were listening and it was just a great crowd. I finished about a week later, when I got home, I received an email from one of the attendees and she said, Elka, please don't think I'm weird, but I have to tell you this sort of extraordinary thing that I saw while you were talking. I don't know this woman at all, right? And so she said, I saw your mother standing about three feet behind you and to your right. And she was in a gold sari and she was beaming. She was just so proud of you. And she said something to you in Hindi, which you couldn't hear because you were facing away from her and which I can't translate for you because I don't know Hindi. But I just wanted to share this vision that I had with you. So I do think that my mom is watching over everything that is happening, and I think she may even be responsible for a lot of the good that's come out of this book.
2: That is just a wonderful story. I get goosebumps when you you said that. That's wonderful. Do you think that she understood that it was actually that you wrote it to give her her life that you wish she had been able to have?
3: I did. Um, But, you know, I think that she was already hurting at the time that I was uh, writing the book. And um, so I think that she wasn't able to completely perceive what I was trying to do, um, you know, as a character in her stead. Uh, And So, you know, I think that after she passed on, though, once she was no longer in pain, then I think uh, she was able to absorb the entirety of it. Yeah,
2: that's wonderful. So then you have the second book, The Secret Keeper of Jaipur. Um, How does the story continue and why did you decide to continue this story?
3: I had no plans to write a trilogy. I was just writing this one book, The Henna Artist, which I had started 10 years prior. And um, it was important for me to write this book, I think, because I wanted to reclaim my Indian identity. For so many years, I had not had an opportunity to recognize what was really great about my culture. I had absorbed the American way of being. I had been raised here since the age of nine. I wanted to be an American, look like an American, act like an American, because that's the way to assimilate into society and to be accepted. You want so much not to be known for your differences, but for your similarity to other people. Well, then I start writing the henna artist, and I realize that my differences are what make me unique. My differences about what I experienced in the Indian culture, the part of my DNA that will always be Indian, whether I choose to acknowledge it or not. Those things are so uh, much a part of what makes me strong as a woman, as an older woman, as a woman who really feels that she has taken care of herself her whole life financially, I really feel that um, so much of uh, writing this book was about reclaiming that part of my DNA. So as I was writing it, and because it took me so long to write it, I came to know these characters as if they were a member of my family. I was living with them 24 seven for all of those years. Every time I did a draft and I ended up doing about 30 drafts of this book. Every time I did a draft, uh, you know, I would get to know a little bit more about each of the characters and layer that in. Well, Malik, Uh, Lakshmi's helpmate, who is only eight years old or nine years old, he doesn't know which, but he prefers to be eight, in The Henna Artist, was uh, at the forefront of my mind when I finished the book and sent it off to my editor. My editor was going to put it in for proofing, copy editing, and then send it off to the printer. So we were still waiting for The Henna Artist to come out as a book in bookstores and libraries. And Malik started knocking at my head, saying, okay, You got to write my story. There's so much about my story that in those 30 drafts got lost in the Hannah artist. You've already written so much of it. You've already written my future, what I'm going to be like 10 years from now. Why don't you write my story now? So I started writing this story. I finished about 20 pages. My agent said, send it to me. I sent it to her. She said, hey, these are really polished. I'm going to send them off to the editor, if that's okay with you. I said, sure. So she sends it off to HarperCollins. Next thing I know, they are sending us a contract for book number two before book number one was even out. So, uh, you know, I, I had a deadline for book number two. And that worked out just great because the story came so easily. It just poured out. So I got the book done. And then I realized that I couldn't have Radha's story in here. Radha is the 13-year-old sister of Lakshmi who comes to visit her very unexpectedly in The Henna Artist. And uh, in The Secret Keeper of Jaipur, Radha has already gone off to Paris. She's married to a Parisian and so on. We learned this at the end of The Secret Keeper. But I couldn't really shoehorn her life in Paris with what's happening in Jaipur in book number two. So I thought I'm going to have to give her her own book. So then I started writing book number three. And my editor uh, from HarperCollins called and she goes, hey, I heard on a podcast that you are thinking about writing book number three. (laughs) I said, yeah, I'm just thinking about it. I haven't really you know, planned it out or anything. And she said, well, send me a couple of paragraphs of what you're planning. I did. And next thing I knew, we had a contract for book number three for four times what they paid for in book number one. So all of that, Sarah, to say that when you land at a really supportive publishing house, a house that really understands the work you are doing and understands you as a writer, all kinds of wonderful
2: things can happen. That is so exciting. That's so exciting. So have you written enough of book number three to realize that there is a fourth?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, it was funny because when they sent me that third uh, book, They said, now, what should we call this series that you're writing? And I said, let's call it the Jampur Trilogy, because uh, the first book concentrated on Lakshmi, our heroine. The second book concentrated on Malik. And the third book is concentrating on Radha. Now, these are the three main characters of my world building. I think we're done. And then I had readers who started saying, Well, you know, I would like to know more about some of these minor characters. (laughs) I want to know more about Samir Singh. I want to know more about Sheila, because she really shows up to be a a very different kind of person in book number two. Uh, I want to know more about Hakeem, the accountant. I want to know more about... Uh, The Jeweler, Mothilal. And so now I'm thinking, well, I guess I could write little novellas about some of these minor characters, similar to what J.K. Rowling did with some of her minor characters. And so I'm leaving that wide open for now, uh, really concentrating on finishing book number three. And I think it might be one of my best books yet. I think uh, it's going to be taking us to both Paris and back to India. And I'm trying to show in this book, as I'm trying to show in all of my books, that there are so many contributions to the West that have been made by the East, by South Asia, by India. And once again, in book number three, the the contribution I'm pointing out is the one about fragrance ingredients. There are so many ingredients that go into fragrances in my research I'm finding out that come from India. You know it's sandalwood oil it's Uh the essential oils like vetiver it's a beautiful tuberose and a beautiful jasmine that come from that area and so these are important things i think for the west to acknowledge about the east that there are so many contributions that we take for granted here in the west that really we just need to say thank you to south asian nations thank you for your contributions over millennia to everything that we know today, even though we are a younger generation, right? The West is, has always been younger than what's happening in Asia and Africa, and you know, so many good things come out of those parts
2: of the world that we that's, should thank. That's just that's wonderful. I just love that. It, did you have to do a lot of research for the books, or did you did you know a lot of this? And were, I mean, were you surprised at what you did know that you didn't know until you started writing? Or did it require just a whole lot of research? A
3: little bit of both. I think I was shocked at how much I knew that was just in my core DNA about India, about people, about the way that the different castes and classes relate to one another, about the, the things that people wear, about the art of henna. There's so much that I already knew that I hadn't ever you know, listed or ever taken into account. But then also I did research to make sure that what I remembered was true, that what I remembered was accurate. I didn't want anybody to be coming back to me and saying, Hey, you know what, you don't have a right to write this, these books, because you haven't lived in India for so long. And you're gonna you have got all of this stuff wrong. You don't understand us at all. And what's really lovely, Sarah, is because I did my homework, and I have always been a good student, I have always done my homework, I have always done my research, and I like doing it. But because I did all of that, the comments that i do get back from people are so positive from south asians from south asians throughout the diaspora across the globe they say oh my gosh how did you get this so right i feel as if i am back at home at my grandparents house i feel wow. as if i'm back in jaipur i feel as if i am in shimla i've never even been there but it feels like i am absolutely there i'm smelling the aromas i am eating the food i totally get why uh, you wrote these things, because we can tell that it is part of your essential character. So I loved that, uh, you know, outcome of these books. That's been really rewarding.
2: Oh, that would be such wonderful feedback to hear from readers. Wow. (laughs) I've heard you say that you love talking to readers and that you've done something like 600 virtual book clubs. What about talking to and listening to from readers? What what is that that so entices you?
3: I have had authors ask me why I choose to do so many book clubs. You know, after they've done about 50, they're done. They don't want to do this anymore. For me, it is a source of energy, So when I talk to readers and they say, oh, you know what? You know, in that scene where Lakshmi and Samir were talking about this and that, I was thinking, blah, blah, blah. And I love those kinds of conversations with readers because, first of all, it shows me how carefully they read the books. Secondly, it shows me that they absorb what's happening in the books, which is just music to my ears about the Indian culture. And uh, thirdly, it tells me that they're so engaged with the characters, they feel as if they own these characters also. They feel as if they are in this world with the characters and they have a right to also say, you know, I think this character should have done this. I think that they were wrong when they did that. Oh, I think they were absolutely right when they did this. I love those conversations. And they're having these discussions in their book groups and with me. And um, I just feel like I'm a part of their lives as they are going through the books. So for me, it's a source of energy. And um, they are, of course, telling me that they love the characters, they love these books. And, you know, there is no better way to get going with my writing for the day than to have somebody tell me that.
2: Yeah, I would think also that some of the things you were just saying about the the comments from the readers, that the readers who are from India, it sounds as if they really identify with the characters. They
3: do. They do. But more than that, Sarah, even people in Russia, in Croatia, in Colombia, in France, in Portugal, all of these places, people uh, where, where they're reading my book that's been translated into 26 languages, even those women Those readers identify with the characters of the book. That's been a huge bonus for me. I don't think I expected women around the world to identify with how Lakshmi is navigating the patriarchy because so many cultures around the world are still putting women in second place and they all get that. They all get what Lakshmi is struggling with. They all get this whole class structure that she's struggling with also, because let's face it, every culture has their class structure. Every culture has societal um, rules that they impose upon men and women and children. You know, you can do this, but you can't do that. You can get married this way, but you can't get married that way you can have children. No, no, no. We insist that you have children. You know, so there are all of these rules that women have to live by, and they understand why Lakshmi is trying so hard to defy that convention.
2: What a gift you've given to women around the world.
3: <laughs> really? <laughs> that, that is, I mean, it's it's very nice of you to say that. Um, I, I uh, you know, I would love to think that that's true, but I think what I really want women to take away is they're not alone. Right. You know, I think that's all we women want to know is we're not alone in this struggle, that there are many people around the world in the same struggle that we're in and they are finding ways to get around these obstacles. And maybe I can learn something from this book.
2: Wonderful. So when can we start watching Netflix? When is it, it going to be on? <laughs> So right now the episodes are being written
3: and they're being written by a writer's room that is populated with women and South Asians, which I'm very excited about because that's what I asked the executive producers to do and they did. Um, And it's being produced, uh, you know, by Hollywood, but it will be shot in India. So that's a wonderful combination of, yeah, of culture and of, um, you know, Hollywood smarts. So I think that uh, that's going to be a um, really important sort of mix that's going on. I think that they may be filming as early as 2022 in late Uh, maybe a year from now, or maybe in early 2023. I'm hoping that that is the timeline that we can follow COVID notwithstanding. Because remember, if we have to film this in India, we have to make sure everybody's safe, right? Right, Right. yes. Uh, You know, um, uh, Frida Pinto is going to play Lakshmi, and I'm so uh, delighted with that because when she read the narrative, she said, oh my gosh, I have been looking for vehicles just like this to promote the South Asian culture. And this book, The Henna Artist, is so rich in South Asian culture. And it shows everybody around the world how beautiful our culture is. So she had a baby this year. She had her very first baby. I sent her a text. Congratulations. She sent uh, an email. She sent a text back right away saying, Alka, I feel as if I gave birth to two things this year. One was my baby boy and the other one was the henna artist as a TV adaptation. I am so excited.
2: I am so glad they're filming it there. I was, I was afraid that they would, you know, do something on a back lot in Los Angeles and try to make it look, oh, that's wonderful.
3: Yeah, because I think it's hard to capture the vibrancy and excitement and chaos of India unless you're actually there. And then you feel it like the energy is just in your bones and in your blood. And you and you feel, you know, like the thousands of people around you and the colors and the saris and the, you know, and the the noises and the smells. And, you know, I I don't think you can capture that anywhere else. But I agree.
2: I agree. (laughs) So this is just, I think, just over the moon for you. But what, what's next? I mean, what dreams have you not yet realized that you think about?
3: I want to submit some of my cartoons to The New Yorker. I have always wanted to submit oh. these little cartoons I have about my dogs to The New Yorker. Um, I think they're super cute, but I've never you know, submitted them before. I even wrote a children's book of one of my dachshunds. Uh, I, did two, uh, I did two in the series about my dachshund uh, in those books. Um, so I've got them all laid out. I've got them all colored and all of that. Um, I would love to see those in print someday. I also mm-hmm. wanted to do a graphic novel version of The Henna Artist for those people who don't read uh, as much as learn visually. So I would love to do a graphic novel of the henna artist. That, that would be almost a year to two-year project. And I'm still looking for the right artists to uh, help me realize that.
2: That's a wonderful thing to do, um, to make it available to a lot of people for whom it's not available right now. That would be wonderful. And did you draw your cartoons? Yes. Oh, yeah.
3: I yeah. yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's how I... Um, Started out in life, I was always drawing. I would draw in the dirt if I had nothing to to draw with. I would draw on the wall. I would draw anywhere. And my parents would look at each other and would say, where does she get this? Like nobody else in our family has this artistic ability. Where is she getting this? I love, love, love to sketch. And so I like to sketch my dogs. Sometimes I sketch my husband. (laughs) Sometimes, you know what? He is in those those, uh, doggy, uh, you know, the children's books about my dogs, that he he is in those. Yes. And his name is in that.
2: <laughs> Does he know that? Yeah. 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 He's he's seen them. Yeah. He thinks they're charming. <laughs> well, this has been delightful. Thank you so much. I just cannot wait to see the first Netflix uh, movies about um, about this book. It w- It's going to be so exciting. And Um, Good for you, Alka. Thank you, Sarah. Sarah, Very exciting. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, I'm so happy you're here. So that's our time today. It's gone very, very quickly, but um, please join us again. You can find our Prime Spark podcast on every popular network. Find out more about Prime Spark at primesparkwomen.com. Thank you so much to my guest. Alka Joshi. And don't forget, you can find her at Alka at, Alka That's A-L-K-A at AlkaJoshi.com. That's A L K A at A L K A J O S H I dot com. So thank you for being with us. Thank you so much, Sarah. Oh, thank you, Alka. So <laughs> be with us again. And until then, take care, spread tolerance and love. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: Thank you for joining us on Prime Spark. With each episode, Sarah Hart brings you conversations that inspire, celebrate, and empower women over 55. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes about remarkable, experienced women go to EWNpodcastNetwork.com. This podcast is also available at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast sites. The second women's revolution is here, and we hope that you use the insights you've gained here to fuel the spark that will ignite your way forward, illuminate your path, and reflect your gifts in the world.